Welcome to the Meiji 150 Student Podcast. My name is Brandon. With me today are Jessica, Shona, and Yoon. We will be talking about post stations in Tokugawa, Japan. Uh, so the post stations uh, also uh, in Japanese shokuba or shokueki is basically a bunch of houses uh, where travelers could rest on their journey around the nation. And the uh, the most of the post stations were uh, mainly distributed uh, along the five routes, uh, which is the five highways, and it is uh, called Gokairo in Japanese. The post stations were first established by uh, Tokugawa Riyasho, and the first post stations were uh, made along the Tokairo Road, which connected uh, from Edo to uh, Kyoto. The Kokairo, the five highways, those were the, including the Tokairo one, uh, routes that connected the capital of Japan and Edo with the outer provinces during Edo period. And uh, it was initially developed to meet the military needs of the government to facilitate movement of officials, armies, and posts. It was largely uh, supported by the alternate uh, residence system, whereby daimyo were compelled to travel annually to Edo, where they kept their families and residences. Yeah, actually, I learned a lot about the Sankin Kotai system as well. Uh, it's where the daimyo would travel from their domain to Edo and spend a year there with their family, and then they would spend a year back at their own, own domain, which required them to be on the Gokaido or the Tokaido routes a lot. The checkpoint systems actually kind of became a ritualized process where the daimyo would get to interact with their local elite of the domain as well as the villagers and the peasants. Now, according to the historian Amy Stanley, the, uh, the proprietors of inns catering to daimyo in these post stations became very well educated and very sophisticated because of the traffic that was traveling through these post stations. But they were also pro- obligated to provide certain expensive official functions, such as providing horses, porters, and lodging to government travelers. And these travelers only paid token amounts for the station services, which meant that in many cases, post station owners and post station businesses didn't actually make that much money. And so we actually see that um, post stations begin to develop as tourist destinations with tourist industries as a means to make money in order to um, sort of pad their finances as a way to provide government businesses. So according to Matthew Shores, after the post-Genroku era, which is around 1704, travel literature is probably what influenced people to go off to longer trips. So um, for commoners, it was uh, they had these interests because after like reading all these travel literature, um, but it was actually really hard for them to go to these trips because for travelers, they had to have all these documents for them and um, they had to have... So they had to have permission, pre-approvals by local officials, and lobsters were almost always prohibited if it was not for religious reasons. And they would be uh, closely monitored in every checkpoint along highways by guards and local officials. I've actually heard that uh, some of the reasons that they were allowed to travel were because of yeah pilgrimages and as well as healing. So they would travel to onsen in the case if they were sick. So just like today, traveling was expensive, but they actually didn't have to carry all the cash they needed at one time. Travelers carried around uh, documents called an otekata, which is the bill of finance, uh, which allowed them to go to ryogaeya, which is exchange offices, that allowed them to withdraw money when they prove their identity by showing their official stamps, which is their income. 
By after the Genroku period, when post stations themselves had become tourist destinations, travelers, both men and women, enticed by the possibilities of new and unusual sex and food, would flock to stations that were popularly known in travel guides and other literature. An example of this is the story the Tokaido Chu Hizakurige, known in English as Shanks Mare, where the two travelers, Yaji and Kita, choose where to stay based on how attractive the prostitutes there are. It's important to note that unlike medieval prostitutes, prostitutes during the Tokugawa period were sexual laborers first and entertainers second. Both prostitutes working in urban pleasure quarters and in post stations as serving girls were sexual laborers first and foremost and didn't provide any other major entertainment function. And this is a result of the commercialization of tourism that took place during the Edo period. Uh, so, I was able to find an example of、uh, post stations in Tokugawa,、uh, I mean in Tokaido. <laughs> and、uh, the name of the,、uh, the post station is Futagawa Shuku, and this was the most popular、uh, post station in Toyohashi city. It was、uh, 1.3 kilometer long,、uh, where more than 1,000 people could stay at once. There was also a transportation office where bearers and horses could be exchanged. The most interesting thing about this post station was that、uh, there were three different types of inn. The very、uh, official inn, called Honjin, was for the members of imperial court and the samurai nobilities who were required to attend the shogun's castle at regular intervals. Uh, this was、uh, being over 200 years, and it was a very historically and culturally、uh, important structure. So, by looking at、uh, Honjin,、uh, you could get a glimpse of、uh, architecture and style、uh, grace of Edo period. This inn, was, this inn Honjin, was uh, only uh, used by the elite. And the second type is.、Uh, For the lesser ranked samurais,、uh, which is called the、uh, Waki Honjin. And it, it was、uh, basically just the same、uh, lo- lodgings, but only the,、uh, the lesser ranked lords could stay. And the last one is、uh, Hatogoya Inns, which was the, the very、uh, common one.、Uh, these were the, for the just common people, like merchants, craftsmen,、uh, pilgrims, and more lower ranked、uh, samurai. So, according to Kano, A cheap stay in an inn would be approximately 50 to 60 mon, which is today's like $4.25, $5.10, around there. And then a night with two meals at a nicer inn would cost around 172 to 300 mon, which is around $14.50 to $25.50. And one goal, which is approximately six ounces of run of the mill sake, would cost around 20 mon, which is around $1.70, and sakes at famous places was always more expensive. So, a short trip around the route of Tokaido routes, let's say, would be around $1,500, but anywhere if like, they want to go like, the whole route,、um, it would cost around $2,500. On the other side of the coin of travel was the obligated travel by daimyo and samurai. They would participate in the Sankin Kotai system, and they would put a lot of stress on the inns along the checkpoint routes. Not just the inns, but also the services required to transport their items that they were bringing to Edo with them. To relieve some of this pressure, they would request help from nearby villages appointed by the government for this very purpose. These villages would be part of the Sukego system and would be given tax benefits and tax breaks to help out the checkpoints. However, what the checkpoints would request would oftentimes exceed what the nearby villages could provide. 
thus leading to economic depression among the villages and their inability to help with the daimyo processions. The increased prosperity of post stations meant that men and women from more distant villages would also travel there looking for work. Men would be recruited as physical laborers, women as serving girls or other sexual laborers, which meant that many village areas were ended up abandoned or short of manpower. This became a common cause of conflict between post stations and villages for local magistrates. Villages had their own responses to this tension, where they would combat wage loss, where they would lose wages working on their farms. Villages would set up a pooled wage system, where they would pool and distribute all collected wages that they made from their corvée labor, and they would split the loss among the village. They would set up councils to combat over-requesting of labor, but was evidently ineffective at quelling the post stations because they continued to be overworked. Their last response to it would be just not showing up for duty at all and putting more stress on the post station workers and removing the daimyo's ability to travel across the land. On the other hand, historians such as Amy Stanley have noted that men and women moving from one region to another along highways and through post stations embodied what she calls a pattern of cultural dispersion in which information and trends migrated from the countryside to the cities and back again. Importantly, this pattern existed independently of daimyo travel and of aristocratic literature. It was a form of commoner movement and commoner dispersion that had a profound impact on the culture of early modern Japan. So uh, before shogunate's uh, intervention, uh, the post stations provided places for travelers or like uh, daimyos to rest and run a career system, right? After the official takeover, uh, the shogunate required that these stations give a preferential treatment to those on official business or be forced to cease activity. What this means is that the uh, the post stations uh, gradually became like a check stations, which served a regulatory purpose, uh, like controlling the movement of people and goods, as well as uh, prevent the trafficking of firearms. And uh, more importantly, uh, it was to ensure that the various rules and policies surrounding the Sankin Koktai were followed. Uh, uh, just for your information, the Sankin Koktai is an uh, alternate attendance. It was a policy of Tokugawa shogunate to strengthen central control over the daimyos and just to uh, serve a purpose of uh, checking the passports of traveling commoners. One topic regarding post stations that deserves particular mention are the food and local cuisine that developed in them. This became a major tourist attraction and also was a reason that many travelers would go to specific post stations. So there was a considerable influx of people partaking in business in the food industry as the food system grew with the expansion of the population. So by the time of the late Edo period, food stalls, restaurants, and other establishments that served food were thriving. So some townspeople opened their stores early as four in the morning of the summer and six in the winter, and tofu stores of shops were one of the first amongst to open. Breakfast usually consisted of rice, soup, pickles, and one or two dishes of dried fish, boiled dried daikon, radish strips, uh, deep fried tofu with kelp, fried uh, burdock roots, boiled beans for the commoners, which are similar to dishes eaten in Japan today. One dish that was quite popular was tofu in clear soup. What was typically popular for many artisans at lunchtime would be soba buckwheat noodles, tempura, sushi, or unagi that were purchased in food stalls. But as Harada mentioned, um, no license was required to peddle fish, tobacco, fruit, salt, candy, miso, vinegar, soy sauce, tofu, konyaku, 
mochi, dried bonito, and skewered sea cucumbers, and this indicated rather loose control on the food trade of the time. And according to Akira Shimizu's article, um, talks about there were a variety of food that were popular at the time, but there were some notable staples like eggs, kelp, grapes, pork, and whitefish hatchling. Um, there were official trade channels established by the Bakufu for all commodities which needed a wholesale association villagers such as fishermen and peasants to provide a certain amount of food to the castle. Once they were sorted out and shipped to the market in Edo, products that had higher quality were given to the shogunal kitchen um, while the rest were sold to commoners. So this is why villagers had such resentment to the Sakago system, because it removed them from their farms and removed their ability to produce high-quality food for trade. The significance of this was that it was in, it increased the burden on villages near post stations and further intensified resentment between villagers and post station owners. So according to Kumiko Nishino's uh, article, mentions that um, about the ochayas, which were located in geisha districts. And they were not actually known to serve tea, but they would have drinks like sake. Ochayas uh, literally translated as tea house, however these places were probably um, better known as guest house or member only tea house as customers uh, have parties and banquets at these ochayas under an exclusive member only system. But they did provide food, drinks, and traditional art performed by uh, geikos and maikos that even sometimes had conversations with them. And the ochayas, uh, quote, um, what are referred to as class two businesses, food and beverage serving establishments under the law relating to adult entertainment businesses. Most checkpoint inns, however, did not employ geisha or maiko, but rather employed meshimori onna, which is often translated as serving girls. Serving girls was following 1718 was the legal designation that was applied to post station prostitutes, ostensibly as a way to get around um, prostitution being theoretically limited to the pleasure quarters in cities. By the middle of the 1840s, just in the Edo area, there was some 8,000 officially recognized prostitutes around a thousand of which were Meshimori Onna. Meshimori Onna were typically recruited from poor provinces such as Echigo. As the historian Amy Stanley notes, recruiters who focused on this area typically timed their visits to coincide with seasons when local peasants were most desperate, the early spring when food stores were running low, and the late summer when tax payments were due. Recruiters would pay the families of these girls a lump sum, and then these girls would be taken for a period of indentured servitude at inns, the period of which was typically ten years. Indentured servants in post-station brothels worked in terrible conditions. They could not refuse customers, they had no days off, and they were not permitted to form romantic attachments with men who did not pay. One example, a prostitute named Hatsu, writes to local magistrates complaining of these working conditions, but there is no evidence that her plea ever reached official ears. So aside from inns, hot springs were also a very popular tourist destination where many people would come for sexual pleasure as well. Lauren Enzi notes that the propagation of sexual and romantic material culture led to inns being a place of sexual travel, due to the fact that you could easily get a pass or permit to travel to an inn for healing purposes. Hot Springs had female entertainers known as Yuna that would be their key marketing figure that would attract people to their hot springs. They would both join in in song, poetry, and drinking, and explain the rules of the hot springs. Hot springs were also places of collaboration, where exchange of cash, bodies, and poetry would happen. Uh, it would offer chances to meet diverse populations and statuses of people to get different perspectives on a piece of literature, for example. In summary, we looked at what a post station was, who went through them, what services they promoted, and how they functioned. 
To end our podcast, we'll look at how post stations ceased to exist with the advent of the Meiji Restoration, Modernization, and the System of Railways. Oh, yeah, so uh, during the, uh, the Meiji Restoration, the introduction of railways altered the uh, travelers' concepts of space and time, reducing the number of travelers visiting the post stations and their significance. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you've learned a lot about checkpoint stations in Tokugawa, Japan. The Meiji at 150 podcast is hosted by Tristan Gruno at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. This podcast would not be possible without the cooperation of the UBC Center for Japanese Research and the technical assistance of the UBC Faculty of Arts, ISIT. Find out more about the Meiji at 150 project, including the Meiji at 150 lecture series, digital teaching resource, and workshop series by visiting our website, meijiat150.arts.ubc.ca. Thank you for listening.